We're going to be in Colossians 1 today, and we'll be in Colossians 1 again next week. So I want you to imagine you find yourself unable to do something that you want to do, should be able to do, and have done in the past. So let's say eat ice cream. Uh, you go to the doctor, and she does all kinds of tests and discovers you're missing an enzyme that's necessary for the digestion of ice cream. And then she gives you the good news. Your body can produce plenty of that enzyme just by eating mangoes. But you hate mangoes. You, you, you hate them as much as you love ice cream. So what do you do? Do you learn to eat mangoes? Oh. Or do you give up ice cream? Oh. Now, let's pose the same type of question, only let's change the issue from a physical one to a spiritual one. You find yourself unable to do something that you want to do and should be able to do, recognize God's will. You go to your pastor and he runs a variety of soul tests and comes to the conclusion that you're missing a spiritual enzyme of sorts, which is necessary for the recognition of God's will. The spiritual enzyme is loving relationships with other Christ followers. What do you do? You're an introvert. You don't like big groups. You just aren't easy with people. Being in a fellowship group or a Bible study is work for you. Even the thought of it is kind of distasteful. So do you learn to have loving relationships with other Christ followers, or do you just give up knowing God's will? That's a real problem in our society generally and in the church in particular, and it's getting worse. We are a ferociously independent, perilously individualistic people. And ironically, the advent of personal computers and especially mobile devices, supposedly communication devices, makes meaningful relationships with people seem optional. A survey a few years ago revealed that millions fewer people attend church services each Sunday than did uh, two decades earlier. And yet more people say that they pray daily than people said then. What that means, among other things, is that people are trying to do the Christian life in isolation, which violates God's design and won't be successful. Like the digestive system in the human body, the recognition system for God's will in the body of Christ requires an enzyme of sorts, loving relationships. Humans are interdependent by design. God made us in such a way that we can't reach our potential without others. It's a paradox, but you can't fully be yourself by yourself. And you cannot fully perceive and understand God's will when your relationships with other Christians are unhealthy. In Colossians 1, 9 through 12, we have a description of the Apostle Paul's powerful prayer for the Colossian Christians. In that prayer, he mentions a single request. There's only one request in the prayer, but it's an important one. He prays that the Colossians might be filled with the knowledge or recognition, as that word sometimes is translated, the knowledge of God's will. Paul understood that recognizing God's will is critical to the church and to our lives. 
Let me read that passage, Colossians 1. I'll read verses 9 through 12. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Now, before we dig into this passage, we need to set it into context. When Paul wrote, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying. What reason did he have in mind? What had he heard about the Colossians that jump-started his prayers for them? He heard, this verse 8, the previous verse, about their love in the Spirit. He mentioned something similar in verses 3 and 4. We always thank God the Father of our late Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. Paul immediately grasped what the Colossians' love for the saints meant. Their church had what it needed for recognizing God's will. They had the essential equipment for receiving messages from God. Let's say I'm on my way to meet you at the coffee shop. We've scheduled a meet at the coffee shop, but you're trying to call me to let me know that you're running late. I'll not get that message because I don't have a cell phone. I don't have a receiver capable of picking up your message. You can try calling me a dozen times. I won't hear your voice. And just so, when a church does not love each other, When they ignore or worse, show contempt for each other, they will not have a receiver capable of hearing God's voice. They will not know his will. When Paul heard that the Colossians had love for all the saints, he knew they were able to discern God's will. That's why he began praying for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will which he knew is enormously important to their success. And so he asked God to convey the knowledge of his will, this is verse 9, through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. If love is the receiver needed to capture the signal, wisdom and understanding are the router and the computer that process it. Of the two words, wisdom and understanding, wisdom is the more general one. The wise person grasps God's ways. He understands God's values and as such has the framework into which God's specific will for churches and for individuals fits. And just an aside, the Bible regards God as the source of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The scriptures is a means for gaining wisdom and humility is the condition for maintaining wisdom. The word translated understanding, frequently translated insight, is the more specific of the two words. 
It has to do with seeing how the big truths, wisdom, fits into a particular situation. Paul says the knowledge of God's will is delivered through spiritual wisdom and insight, which is to say through wisdom and insight that are sourced in the Spirit of God. Without the Spirit, we will not have wisdom and insight, and without wisdom and insight, we'll not understand God's will. Note the little big word, all. The recognition of God's will comes through all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and that presents a problem. You have a little wisdom and understanding, and so do I. But neither of us has all wisdom and understanding. That leaves us in need of each other. And God designed it that way intentionally. He routinely sends the knowledge of his will to multiple people, not just one. To the church, not just individuals. What's more, he doesn't usually send all of it to every person, but some to one, some to another. That's why someone who is isolated from the church can't expect to know God's will in its fullness. The way email works could serve as an illustration of this. You know anything about your email, you press that send button, what happens? Let's say your childhood best friend is going to be in town tomorrow at noon and wants to meet you for lunch, so he sends you an email. He only has an hour, but he'd sure love to see you. When he clicks send, that email is broken down into packets of information, each one with an IP address, which are sent separately and sometimes even along different routes. When the packets arrive at some email server down the road, they're reassembled into a meaningful message. Well, sometimes it's a meaningful message, sometimes not. Like email, God's will is often broken down into packets, sent and then reassembled by a group of loving believers who possess spirit-sourced wisdom and understanding. It's not that God can't send the knowledge of his will to just one person, but frequently he does not. He intends us to relate to and rely on each other. If we insist on going it alone, we forfeit much of the knowledge that we need to know what God is doing in and around our lives. A few years ago, Phil Vischer, who's the creator of Veggie Tales, was here in Coldwater and he shared his story. So for a while, Phil was on top of the world. He was wildly successful and full of big ideas for the future. In fact, he named his production company Big Ideas Productions. Because things were going so well, he concluded God wanted to grow big ideas into a, a much larger company. So he borrowed money. He spent millions of dollars, hired all kinds of staff, and got himself upside down financially. Uh, his cash flow 
couldn't handle the skyrocketing bills. And he started laying off the people that he just hired. And then Big Ideas went bankrupt. Phil was forced to sell all the VeggieTales copyrights to another company. In just a short time, his company and his life just collapsed. And he was left to say, what just happened? He looks back and says, when things were doing so well, I thought that was God wanting us to expand. So we grew like crazy. Now I think it was more me having all these great ideas in my head and being so excited I wanted to do them all at once. He wasn't humble, which he acknowledges. His wisdom wasn't sourced in God and his word. And he was charting his course alone and flying solo. That is a recipe for mistaking God's will. How important is it for you and for our church to receive the knowledge of God's will? Well, how important is it for a military unit to know whether Central Command is ordering them to attack or to defend, to advance or to retreat? It's critical. Look at verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. See, there's a reason behind Paul's prayer. Being filled with the knowledge of God's will is not an end in itself. Such knowledge will help us, one, live a life worthy of the Lord, and two, please him in every way. The word translated worthy is derived from the Greek axios, which means to have the weight of another thing. So that's terminology that developed around the use of scales in the ancient world. Say you, you went to market, you're alive in St. Paul's time, and you go to the Agora, and you want to buy five pounds of wheat flour. The merchant would place weighing stones on one side of a scale, and then fill the other side with the wheat until the scales balanced or achieved worthiness, this word. Some merchants used inaccurate weighing stones, or they rigged the scale to their advantage, which is why Proverbs 11.1 1 says, The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. To live a life, and literally it's to walk worthy of the Lord, is to go through your days in a way that balances your lifestyle with the calling you received as a servant of the Lord of Lords and Savior of the world. Without the knowledge of God's will, that can't be done. You will not walk worthy of the Lord. And it can't be done if we're using inaccurate weights, that is, ones that are calibrated for the non-Christian. If we try to balance our lives with the scale weights of house size or car value, body mass index, social media footprint, we'll never balance out in a way that is worthy of the Lord. Instead of using such things to measure ourselves, let's weight the scale with Jesus' trust in and obedience to his Father, his sacrifice for his friends, his love for his enemies. Place on the scale the Lord's patience, his care for the needy, his openness to strangers. Set our lives against those weights. When we do, we'll see that we're light in such virtues. But we can at least be on the right scale. God isn't waiting for us to be just like Jesus in all these things before he'll be pleased with us. 
the desire to be like Jesus already pleases God, as does every effort his children make in that direction. That brings us to the second reason Paul requests with, uh, the knowledge of God's will for these Colossian Christians so that they can please the Lord in every way. What that means is we can please God Almighty. The Lord can say of you, isn't he something special? Or, I just love her. She is such a joy. View. You may think it impossible for someone like us with all our problems and shortcomings to please God. Only people who have it all together, like famous people, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, for the most part, dead people, are going to please God. It's not so. In fact, if that's what we think, our thinking is precisely backwards. It's impossible to please some people. No matter what we do, they won't be pleased. If you grew up with a mom or dad like that, you know what I'm talking about. It's also, maybe surprises us, but if we think about it, we'll know it. It's also impossible to please ourselves for any length of time. We don't stay pleased. Probably the hardest person in this room to please that for you is you and to stay pleased. But it's not impossible to please God. He loves to see his children succeed. He delights in them. He sings over them. He is easy to please, but hard to satisfy. He's delighted by every honest effort his children make, but he always wants more. But not because he's a slave driver, but because he knows what we can be and longs for us to experience it. He made us for glory, for perfection, for all joy, and for our sakes. He'll not be satisfied with less, but he will be pleased with every effort. Recently, my grandson Phineas colored a picture for me. This is not the picture. This one are the stickers, but I got a picture of this for you to see. I circled his his signature on there. I, I, I liked the picture, but I was pleased even more by his signature. Uh, so this is his just learning to make letters handwriting. He's five years old. You can see Finn. I circled it for you. I expect that when he's older, his handwriting will be firmer, clearer, flow more easily, then again, he could be like his dad <laughs> or his grandpa, even worse. But I expect it'll only get better, and I want that for him. But that doesn't mean I was thoroughly pleased with his accomplishment. And so with God, he isn't hard to please. We, with all our problems and shortcomings, can be a real source of pleasure to God, a joy within the fountain of joy. He even tells us through the apostle what pleases him. Do you want to know what pleases him? He tells us, and we'll look at that next week when we continue with the four things 
that bring pleasure to God our Father. In closing, I remind you that bringing pleasure to God and walking worthy of the Lord happens to people and churches who are filled with the knowledge of his will. And that knowledge comes to us like email and packets, if you will, which often follow different routes and must be put together. That means you need other people in the church, people who are loving God and each other. I repeat what I said earlier. You cannot fully be yourself by yourself. And you cannot fully perceive and understand God's will when your relationships with others are unhealthy. So ask God to lead you into a healthy relationship with others and to heal those that aren't healthy. Don't be a loner. One of my favorite authors is Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry was walking with his friend Wes Jackson past a plot of Maximilian sunflowers, which can grow nearly to 10 feet. And Jackson pointed to a plant that stood alone, apart from all the other ones, that was disconnected from the rest. Wendell Berry saw that that loner plant was taller than most and had bigger flowers, huge flowers, but it wasn't healthy. Its blossoms were so heavy that the branches were starting to break. In one sense, that plant had succeeded. It was unusually tall, and its flowers were impressive. It stood out from the crowd. But Maximilian sunflowers only thrive when they grow in community, not in isolation. That's true of people, too especially the followers of Jesus. Enter into the life of the church. Be involved with Jesus' people. Don't stand alone. All right, let's pray. Lord, our Lord, I ask you to reveal the riches of your inheritance in the saints to us. Cause us to value each other. And Lord, give us the knowledge of your will. Fill us with it. so that we might walk worthy of you and please you in every way. And do this not because we deserve it, but because we're Jesus's. We ask this in his name.